Bible reading today comes from Nehemiah. That is the book that we've been studying during the Get Her Done series. And today we are in Nehemiah chapter 3. Hear these words. Then Nehemiah said to them, You see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, the son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Mirmoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joyada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besadeah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumath, made repairs opposite his house, and Hatush, son of Hashabneah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Melchizedek, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Ben Beth Hakarim. He built it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Kolhoze, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the, the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, Ruler of the half-district of Kayla carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Kayla. Next to him, Azer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section, from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section, 
from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired another, another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. Repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in the front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Maaseah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benoah, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle in the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parash, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate, toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shalemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. So we rebuilt the wall till, till it reached half its height, for all the people worked with all their heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. One might be able to say next to the reading the genealogies of Jesus that that is one of the uh, more painful passages to read. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for voicing your support of that statement. Uh, so you can see why we uh, offed a large part of it to our recent uh, seminary graduate, Tim. That was our test to see if he could actually pass reading the Bible. Uh, we, but I love that passage. I don't know about you, but I think it is an incredible passage as we read that. And, and here's what, what I think is incredible, because the task before them was a simple one. It, it was simple, but it, but it was really kind of overwhelming, right? We got to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Why? Because the people were living in trouble and living in disgrace. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the incredible part of that, when we read this Bible passage, is that when Nehemiah showed up and said, friends, we need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, all of them participated in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. I find that an amazing, that all of them participated in the work of rebuilding the walls. And what we read in Nehemiah 3 is we found over 75 names, right? All those names have been preserved through history, through thousands of years, because they were willing to step up and they were able to, uh, to, to participate in rebuilding the walls. So we get 75 names. We got 15 different groups of people that cut across uh, all levels of society, that cut across all economic class, 
except for those few nobles who didn't want to get their hands dirty. There's always one or two. But most everybody participated in this. We got a list in here. We read that there were priests who did the work. Can you imagine that? Those of you who have been on a work trip with me, <laughs> step forward and do the work. The priests were in there doing the work. We see the goldsmiths. And I imagine that their part of the gate must have just been spectacular. They were, they were covering it all with gold. And Nehemiah shows them, like, guys, just put the rocks up. We don't need a gold. And, and, and next to that would have been the perfumers. The perfumers putting the, working on rebuilding the walls and probably spritzing their area so it smells nice. Or going around to the guys who are sweating, you know, they're just whatever. So we got the perfumers that are helping to build. And we see that we also have the temple servants. We got the merchants. We got the one guy and all his daughters are showing up. And everybody contributed to the task. So that's a real easy takeaway for us, isn't it? I, I don't have to work too hard on this, this passage. Because the takeaway is pretty simple. That if we're going to get her done, if we're going to get to the task that God put before us, who needs to be engaged in this work? Everyone, right? Everyone. So who would be included in that? Okay. When I say everyone and three people raise their hands, okay, apparently I'm going to have to work a little harder on this passage. Oh, we could have been done. You could have had a five-minute message, but now I have to keep going. So this is on you. It's not on me. The takeaway was simple, that we needed everyone to be involved in it. But seeing how we only have three people here that think they're included in the everyone, I mean, let me do a little more convincing. Everyone needs to be involved. And, and, and this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4.16. He says, from Jesus, from Jesus, the whole church is joined and held together as each part does its work. Did you catch that? Jesus is the center. From Jesus... Jesus, who is here to bring the kingdom of God to the world, who is to make the name of Jesus known. That's the mission of the church. We revolve around Jesus. We're all joined together around Jesus Christ, bringing that mission to the world, as Paul says, as each part does its work. There we get it again. Who's doing the work? All. Each part are doing their work. That's real clear for us. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I engaging in the work that God has called me to do to get this mission done? I see that Nehemiah uh, made a real brilliant move. When Nehemiah showed up to get the work done, and he stands there, and there's a gap in the wall, uh, Nehemiah came to each person who was living by those specific gaps, and he said to them, he said, I want you to see this gap right here. This is right by your house. This is right where you live. I want you to take personal responsibility for this gap right here. Can, would you work on that? Well, what about the holes over there? What about the big pile of rubble? No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. I want you just to worry about your spot. You just worry about your area. Do you think you could take care of your area? Rebuild your spot? Yeah, I think I could do that. And we saw that as each person rebuilt their spot, they went completely all the way around the wall until the whole wall was rebuilt. 
That was a brilliant move on Nehemiah's part because each person had a personal buy-in because it wasn't about somebody else's area, somebody else's spot, but it was about them in their area. So I don't think I can be any more brilliant than Nehemiah. So I just simply want to ask each of us here today to do the same thing. Be responsible for your area. Just be responsible for your part, for your section, for your life in this church that you are called to be a part of, where each one is called to do the work. So I want you to just think about that area this morning and and maybe what rebuilding you might have to do because as I thought through this series and thought about where Orchard Hill needed to go in the future and how it was that we would be able to get her done, came up with four areas. And maybe you've seen them in some of the letter we sent out, uh, some of the publications we made, uh, some what Larry the campaign guy talked about. Maybe you've gathered what these four areas are. I think the first area that each of us needs to consider if we're going to rebuild the wall and if we're going to get the ministry done here at Orchard Hill is to really think through, are we doing our part with giving our finances? I knew he was going to talk about finances. I just knew it. I knew this was the day. We should have stayed home. I told you. You're right. I'm talking about finances. Why am I talking about finances? Because Jesus talked about finances. Jesus talked about finances more than probably any other topic that he talked about. Why? Because he knew it wasn't a money issue. He knew it was a discipleship issue, a followership issue. It was a heart issue. And Jesus knew that you couldn't follow both God and money. You'd serve one and despise the other. And so Jesus said, I'm going to talk about money because I know it's a heart issue and your heart needs to be attached to God. And so as a result, we need to talk about giving. We need to talk about giving. And I want to ask, are you giving to God? What I found here in, in, the, in some of the reading that I was doing is that God uh, has really resourced his church to, to accomplish everything to get his ministry done. If we would just say, let's, let's set a low bar, all right? I'm going to set a low bar and just say that I'm taking the church at large. Let's talk about the world, the church, Christians in the world, that if we set a low bar of just 10%, that's a pretty low bar. God's saying, I'm going to leave you with 90. Uh, uh, you give me 10% back. What we find is that with that money, there would be $165 billion in the hands of the church, in the hands of God's people, to go out into this world and bring the kingdom of God. That would mean $25 billion could relieve global hunger and starvations and deaths from preventable diseases. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion to solve the world's water and sanitation issues. $1 billion to fully fund all overseas missions. $100 billion left over to do additional work. That's if God's people would simply give back to God Right? They're God's, God's money. Give back to him 10%. But we know that across the board that churches give and God's people give right around 2 or maybe 2.5%. And so those things still are out there in this world. Has God provided the tools and resources to get the work done? Yes. God always equips for his ministry. God has done it. He has done it. And he has equipped Orchard Hill today 
to get the work done through the resources that we are holding on to. And so we simply need to have a generous heart and, and say, God, here you go. I'm going to give these resources to your kingdom. That's what I want to make my investment in. And so here you are, God. I give it to you. And we open up our hands and we give generously to God. Our goal is not to give 10%. All right, it's not to give 10%. Our goal is to be generous givers. Because God is a generous giver. We read in the scriptures that God so loved the world, he gave. gave. He gave. That's the very heart of God. He gives us new mercies every morning. And our response to God is to give back to him. Because we're just stewards of what he gives to us. And we are here for the purpose. We revolve around that purpose to bring the kingdom of God to the world, to make Jesus known. And we as this community give our resources so that God can be made known here on this hill, that we can be a light on this hill. And so I want to just challenge you to ask yourself, as you come to this wall, is there a gap? Is there a gap, just you, with what you're giving? What's your giving to God? The scriptures tell us that God loves a cheerful giver, because that's God's heart. And for us to be a church that resembles God, we need to be cheerful givers. So what is the next step you can take? in your giving. Because what it's going to take for us to get it done is all of us giving. And not just uh, one or two, and, and all the gifts are going to look different. But it's going to be the same sacrifice that God asks from us all. Jesus told a, a story, well it really is an account of Jesus, that one day when Jesus was in the temple, Jesus took a seat over to the side, and they were watching. They were watching people put their gifts into the temple treasury. And it was kind of a spectator sport because they liked to see the rich people who came up because the rich people would put a lot into the treasury. And the rich people, it would be done with great, uh, with great showmanship and with great uh, sound in the temple as they poured it into the little metal receptacle that that uh, it was poured into. And so the rich people would step on, and they would give their money making a big show. And they would put all their money in for all of them to see. And people would be aghast as they say, oh my goodness, did you hear that? Did you see how much they gave? That is incredible. And then Jesus elbowed his disciples. And he said, I want you to look at that woman there. And they saw an older woman who was a widow walked by and she walked up to give her offering. And you could hear the snickers because that was hardly anything at all. But Jesus elbowed his disciples and he said to them, when you give, you give like that woman. For the rich, they gave out of their wealth. But this woman, she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of what she did not have. She gave her all. And that's how you're to give. And friends, that's how we need to give. Would there be a gap today in the way that you are giving to God? The second place that I think we need to consider 
as we think about uh, the gap that we may be facing, uh, would be, are we, is, is there, are we doing our part in sharing the good news? Are we doing our part in sharing our faith and giving witness to who Jesus Christ is? Jesus said in uh, when he called his disciples, he said to them, here's your express purpose. I am calling you to follow me, right? We're Christians, we're Christ followers. I'm calling you to follow me to be fishers of men. To be fishers of men. That's who you are. And he reiterated that in Matthew 28. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends, he says to them, now remember, I called you to be fishers of men, and now I'm leaving you, and I want you to go and be my witnesses to the whole world of what I have done. And the apostle Peter, who, who lived with that message, he comes and he passes on to the church, and he says to us in the church who are following in the way of Jesus Christ, he says, always be prepared to share the hope that you have within you. Always be prepared to anyone who asks, because you're the witnesses to what Jesus has done. You're witnesses to the good news. And surprisingly, I just read a study this week that said only two-thirds of Christians believe that they are called to give witness to their faith and share and evangelize. To, uh, what, what Bible are the other third reading, right? Only two-thirds believe that they need to share their faith. And what we know from research that is done is that 95% of the church has never engaged in evangelistic activity whatsoever. 95%. We know that only 2% have only led anybody across the line of faith. Are we accomplishing our mission? Are we getting it done? Are we going back to the mission that, that Jesus gave us? He said, this is my church. This is who you are to be. This is who you revolve around. This is what you're all about. Go and be my witnesses and tell people. And yet we go week after week after week after week after week, and we never light our candle over here for salvations. If we were a business, we'd be going out of business. We're not accomplishing our goal. We're not accomplishing our purpose. And, and, and it's a mystery to me why, because I know all of you, and you all are very good at sharing good news. I can't even make it through the lobby without hearing about all good news. I hear good news about how your latest sports team has done. So clearly you're not a Michigan fan. I hear good news about where the, the next greatest sale is where I could buy a new snappy flannel shirt to wear. I hear good news about that. I hear good news about where the best apples and donuts are. And I don't know why you feel like I need to know where the best donuts are. But some are giving that kind of good news. I go through the lobby and I hear all kinds of people sharing all kinds of good news. You are great evangelists. You are. But for some reason, we, we don't talk about the good news. And could it be that we've let the world convince us that it's not good news? I just have a hunch that maybe that's the reason. Because everything in this world is pushing against us sharing, right? You gotta be tolerant, right? You gotta let them form their own opinion. You don't wanna be pushy. You don't want to drive them away. You don't want, and we've, we've let the world convince us that it's not good news, and so as a church, we need to keep our mouths shut. 
But the command of the one that we follow is that our mouths go open and we share the good news with all of those that we come in contact with. Because this news is the only news that leads to life. Everything else we can talk to people about. Our sports teams, my flannel shirts, my, my donuts and cider are going to waste away. But only what we talk about in the good news do we bring life to people. Can we transform life? And that's what we need to be about. And we need to own that good news and recognize that we are bearers of that good news. We're told again by Peter that we are ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors in this world. We're like, hey world, we serve a, a great God. We serve a God whose kingdom is like none other. And I want to tell you about it because I'm an ambassador here. That's who we are. And so, friend, I just want to ask you as you stand here, are you doing your part to share the good news? The next thing that I think we need to uh, consider about rebuilding our wall and doing our part is are we stepping up and serving with our gifts and talents? Are we stepping up and serving with our gifts and talents? We get this, uh, this verse. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as, as each has received a gift, again, this is very clear this morning, isn't it? As each has received a gift, so who's in on this? Gosh, you guys are still not getting it, are you? Look at it. Okay, now I got a hat. I'm going to keep going. What was that? Oh, I didn't tell you to raise your hand. My wife is arguing with me. So you guys are off the hook, and I'm being booed. So let's see the hands of those who are included in this. There we go. Thank you, preschool teacher, for helping me get it right. Thank you. <laughs> Each one has received a gift, and he says, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace, 1 Peter 4.10. Each one has received a gift, now use it. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? I got a gift, I need to use it uh, because what we're doing is we're stewards of God's varied grace. And I like to think of that word this way, that God says, Orchard Hill, I'm planting you on this hill. I want you to go out and I want you to reach all of Walker. I want you to reach them. And I have placed in your, in your hands, and I've equipped this church. If we can go back to that other slide, Jewel. I have e equipped this church with everything that it needs to reach this community. Everything. The varied grace. All right, somebody has this kind of hurt. Somebody has this kind of pain. Somebody's in this kind of, needs this kind of help. And God says, I'll take care of it. But how do I do it? Through my church. Through my church. I've given my people gifts. I've given them talents. I've given them abilities. I've given them resources. And I tell them to use it. I didn't give it to them for them to hold on to. I said, use it. And when we use it, who's blessed? The community is blessed. Do you see that? But what happens if we don't use it? We're told that only 45% of those engaged in the life of the church are serving in a ministry, helping the church move its ministry forward. 45%. So what does that tell me? That half of the people are not using their gifts. 
And what does that do to our community? What does that do to the impact of God in this, in this area? Do you think God is happy with that? I think God saying, church, I've given you everything. Go use it. Transform this, 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 this neighborhood into my kingdom. It's right there. Use it. I mean, can you, can you imagine, well, maybe you can, now that I say this example, can you imagine the Detroit Lions showing up today with only half their football team? I probably could have picked a better example, but I'm committed to this one, I guess, right now. Some could argue they do that every week. But just imagine that, that today the, the offense goes out there and the left tackle's like, eh, I'm not going out. The center, you don't need me to hike the ball. The running back, I, I'm just going to sit on the bench. The wide receiver, I'm tired of running down that field. Let somebody else do it. And the offense goes out there missing four or five guys. And the same thing is true on defense. The defensive ends are like, eh, we don't want to play this game. The line, middle linebacker is like, let somebody else cover the middle. The safeties are like, we're out of here. And they take the field with half their team. What are the odds that they're going to win? Zero. Zero. And what are the odds that we're going to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ that he's given to this church if only half the people are using their gifts? Zero. Zero. We're doing some great things. Some of you are using your gifts in tremendous ways. There are pockets of blessing that are going out from this church. But I don't think that's what God says is, is what, what his ultimate destiny is for this church. I think God wants us to get it done, and he wants us to be this light on this hill, and he wants us to be the salt of the earth. And what it takes is from each of us, each one of us. See, I'm not making this stuff up today, all right? Right here. Each of us has a gift and should use it. And so, friend, is there a gap? As you look at your section of the wall, as you look at the ministry that's going on here, are you using your gifts? Are you using your talents to serve, to serve in the life of this church so that we can bring God's glory to this world, that we can tell the world about Jesus Christ? And finally, the last area I want you to consider as you think about, about your, the gap in the wall for you is are you praying? Right? Are you praying? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. Why? Because the enemy is attacking us without ceasing. The world is coming after us without ceasing. Satan wants to move us as far away from God as he can without ceasing. And we, his people, need to be praying without ceasing. Because when we pray, God works. That's how God works, is through the prayers of his people. One of the devotion books that I use is uh, one by Oswald Chambers. And Oswald Chambers says this, in my utmost for his highest. He says, prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. 
That's what we're called to do. We're called to pray because when we pray, God's spirit moves and we see that in the life of the early church. Jesus said, I want you to go be my witnesses. But the very first thing they did was they went for 50 days and they prayed together and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and the Holy Spirit was unleashed. 3,000 were added to their number in that day. They continued to pray and pray and pray and we read 2,000 were more were added to their number in that day. They pray and pray and pray and now soon the gospel is going out from, from Jerusalem, from these fishermen who lived in Galilee of all places, these uneducated fishermen, and pretty soon the gospel was brought to the whole world through the power of their prayer as they prayed and prayed. One of my mentors, Daniel Henderson, in his book uh, says this. He says, if my activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if my activity is from God, nobody will be able to stop it. Nobody will be able to stop it. And how much activity do we do that has no prayer behind it at all? Have you prayed for Orchard Hill? Have you prayed for this church? There's no doubt anybody who is... um, uh, I can't remember the last time this actually has happened, that I engaged in playing a video game because I'm just so awful at them. Uh, I used to be pretty, I used to, could hold my own when Jordan was three or four. And I could play against him when he was three or four. And that was, that was pretty awesome because I could, I could take him then. I could trash talk him at three or four, but not anymore. Uh, but we would, we would play uh, Mario Kart, and usually I actually would fall behind in the game in, in Mario Kart. Uh, so my only hope, and I don't know what they're called, maybe somebody knows what these are called, my only hope was to take my car and run th- into that, that item that would give me turbo boost. I don't, what's it called? Is it called something? I'm glad you guys are not spending your, t- is it a star, is it the, I don't know. I don't know what it's called, but anyways, the purpose is, Oh, Lord, I am trying to get your word right this morning. I will. Uh, Just so you know, there's a little glitch in our lighting system. Have you noticed that this morning? And we haven't been able to figure it out. We've had the greatest electricians here trying to figure this out. It just does this. But this really is God smiling. And this is God saying, you are bringing the word that I wanted you to bring this morning. And, And just go for another half hour. That's what it says. So, anyways, I... I lost everything altogether going through the turbo thing. And I hit the turbo thing, and then my car would just like, boom, just start flying down the track. And, of course, then I'm going off into the grass and the weeds, and I'm trying to get back on the road. But nothing could hurt me. I'm sailing past everybody. I'm like, yeah, take that, Jordan. Take that, buddy. And he tries to throw a banana at me. It doesn't even hurt. Oil slicks won't even stop me. I just keep flying right on through around the course. But as soon as that turbo thing lets up, what happens? My car, I slow back down. Jordan, little four-year-old Jordan, passes me again. I'm like, oh, i got to hit that star again to get past him. That was my only hope for winning. And I bring that up because that's what this reminds me of, that that's, what, that that's our rhythm of life, that we need to be praying to God. And when we pray to God, we tap into the power of God, and the church can move, and the church can go. And, and as the Scripture tells us, the forces of Hades cannot take a stand against us. It can't. We're the winners. But maybe we're in a defeated place and maybe we're in a discouraged place and maybe we're in a declining place because we haven't been praying. We haven't been praying. We need to be people who pray. And so I just want to ask you to begin to pray for this church, to pray for your life, to pray for your role, to pray 
for just to pray, be a person of prayer. Jesus called his house, not a house of worship, not a house of teaching, not a house of coffee and cookies. He called his house a house of prayer. And nothing got Jesus more bent out of shape than anything when he showed up in the place where the Gentiles were able to pray and it was filled with, with temple people selling all kinds of stuff and the Gentiles had no place to pray and Jesus said, that's not right. My Father's house is a house of prayer. I want people to be able to pray. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross is the, is, is, is the temple curtain was ripped in two so we all have access in the name of Jesus to God, to pray to him. And we should pray. And so I'm going to ask you are, you, are you a praying person? So as you take responsibility this morning for your section of the wall, for us as Orchard Hill getting it done, don't worry about anybody else in the life of this church. Just think about your personal responsibility and just ask yourselves, am I giving? Am I giving? Am I sharing my faith? Am I stepping up and am I leading? And am I on my knees praying? What area might you need to work on to help us get her done? What I love is at the very end, and we see in, in Nehemiah 4, 6, it says, the people worked with all their hearts. I love that. Because it tells me nobody was cajoled. It tells me nobody was coerced. It tells me nobody had to reluctantly volunteer and sign up. But they said, yeah, there's a gap. It's my gap, and I'm going to go after it, and I'm going to get it done. And they all came with all their heart. And that's my hope for us. And I have no, uh, I have no reserve in asking you to do all these things that I asked you to do today because there is nothing else in your entire life across the face of this world that you could do that's more important than what I just asked you to do this morning. You can do it, but it doesn't last. You can do it, it doesn't have value. You can do it, but it's a waste of time. But everything that I've asked you to do this morning is to be a part of God's kingdom plan. Being part of God's kingdom plan and bringing the kingdom of God to this earth and shining a light on the name of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're his church. We're the light on the hill. And what's it going to take for us to get her done? Each one of us doing our part. What's the part you need to do today? As we come to our time for offering, I just want to give you a chance to think about that. I invite our praise team to come forward. And as we uh, move into this time of offering, I just want you to think about what part do you need to play in the life of this church to help us get her done. Maybe today you're saying, I, I want to step up and serve. You can find on the back of your connection card, there's like a whole bunch of areas in the life of the church you can say, yeah, I'll help serve it, and right now I'll do that. You can put that in the offering plate. Maybe you want to begin to pray. I just want to encourage you, maybe a little reminder that I've been using if you uh, text PRAY10 to 313131, you'll get a reminder at 517 every day. 1 Corinthians 517, pray without ceasing. PRAY10 to 313131, you get a reminder to help just encourage you to keep praying. And maybe there's a gift because you need to say, what's my next step in giving and how can you trust God? I just want to leave a moment, some time between you and God to think through this as you face the gap in the wall that you have in your life. And what do you need to do today to do the work, to do your part, to get it done?
Father, here we are this morning. And uh, we are so encouraged by this story in Nehemiah where we see God's people coming together to do a mighty thing. And God, we ask that you would do a mighty thing in our midst. God, we, we, we ask for that. We desire that, God. And yet we know the only way that happens is through your people. And so we ask for some bold commitments to be to, made today, God. We ask for some sacrificial commitments to be made today. We ask for you to stir in hearts and we ask for your Holy Spirit to convict so that we would, we would be able to set a course on what we need to do to play our role in helping your kingdom come to Walker. So God, as we give our offerings today, will you come and touch us and will you come and hear our hearts as we now give to you our tithes and our financial offerings, but also more importantly, God, as we lay our hearts before you. Come Lord Jesus and be with us in our offerings today.